Thank you. Great, thank you. Good morning. Oh, good to see you. Let me just start with um, with saying this. This is an amazing church. It really is an amazing church. It's filled with amazing people. And we heard about Janet there before. And you know, it is often the difficult times in those crisis moments when you see the church at its very best. And, you know, to, to see and to have seen the number of people in this church who have loved and cared for Janet and John as well. Over, not just over these last few days, but over these last few weeks, months, and even years. It really is beautiful to see. And it's, it's humbling to see as well. And I just think, thank God for the church. Praise God for the church. And I'd echo everything Neil said about Janet. This was a lady full of peace. She knew that Jesus loved her. She loved Jesus. She was just so looking forward to seeing him face to face. But praise God for the church. It's wonderful. So we are, we're concluding our vision series today. And in this series, we've been looking at the vision, obviously, that we feel God has given us as a church. We've been looking at the importance of unity in our diversity, um, the importance of prayer and of praying and uh, the importance of growing people, growing ourselves, growing others, the importance of reaching out, particularly through bless. And uh, we've also been looking at different aspects of how we surround and saturate this town with the love of Jesus. And so we're concluding today by focusing on the question, what's my part? What is my part in pursuing this vision of being a diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. Because I guess that what I can give as, as the leader of the church, what I can give along with other leaders, is vision. Discernment of vision, communication of vision, um, which is why I've been speaking a lot more than usual over recent weeks. Don't worry, you're going to get a respite from me over these next few weeks. So, um, but, but, but that's what I can give. But you know what the gift that you give, the gift the church gives, the gift the congregation gives, is the fulfillment of that vision. As we pursue that vision together, shoulder to shoulder, we go for it and we pursue that vision. Now, I guess that the first thing that is really important here is to have a sense of heart engagement with this, a heart commitment to this, a sense of yes and amen a sense of calling to, to the church, to this church, to this body of believers, to the family of God here, and therefore to the vision that we feel God has given us. And as I've said on more than one occasion, I love this church. I just, it's just kind of in my, in my blood. I love this church. And when I, when I consider, when I look and I consider uh, what God has done, what he is doing, and where I believe he's leading us, I will gladly give my life to that. I'm in, 100% in. When I, when, if, that, if that is where God is taking us, I am 100% in. This story that God is writing into this church and into this town, I want to be fully caught up in that story. Because actually, there's, it's far more exciting, it's far more fulfilling than anything else life can offer. I'm in. And the invitation that that we've given really right from week one of this series, is for all of us to reflect and to consider. To, to have a look through this vision booklet, and again, if you haven't got one of these, they're at the back there or at the welcome area. To look through this vision booklet 
and pray and to, and to ask God, what is my part in this? What is my part? Do I have that sense of calling? Do I have that sense of settled assurance that this is where God has placed me? That this is where God is calling to be? Whether, whether you've been here for years or you've only just arrived. Whether you're here just for a couple of years or you're here for the long term. A sense of assurance, this is where God is calling me to be for however long I'm here. Do I have that sense of assurance. I think this is really important because this is a vision that is going to require a huge team effort from all of us. It requires commitment and it requires sacrifice and it requires generosity and we all have our part to play. Every single one of us has our part to play if you're called to be here. And so you need to decide if your heart is engaged with with this, with this vision, with this church and then you can demonstrate that commitment in a number of ongoing ways which I'll outline today but let's open the bible we'll go to acts chapter 2 we're going to have a look at luke's description of the early church this will be a very familiar passage for some of you but luke's description of the early church because i think there's a lot that we can learn from there uh, and it's certainly in a time of very explosive church growth and the context here is that peter has preached this sermon at pentecost empowered by the Holy Spirit and the result of that sermon is that 3,000 people, 3,000 new believers, new Christians are added that day. 3,000. This is the beginning of the church, the birth of the church and then we have this description of what this church was like, of, of what they did and, and how, they, how they did things. So from verse 42 it says about them, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God And enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we can see some specifics in there. You know, breaking bread, prayer, all those kind of things. Some specifics of what they did. And I'll come to some of those a little bit later. But if I was to try to summarise this passage in one word, it would be togetherness. It's togetherness. Verse 44 says, they were together. And they had everything in common. And I think that means a lot more than just they were together in the same place. I think there's a far stronger emphasis, a far stronger um, sense of unity and togetherness here than just being in the same place. Now, of course, they did meet together in the same place. It tells us that. They met together every day. They they ate together in in their homes. They they did all sorts of things. In fact, they, they were meeting together all the time. Every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. So this this builds up a picture of a group of people, a large group of people, who just loved being together. They just loved it. They couldn't get enough of being together. And for them, regular life is seen as an interruption to this wonderful new family they have, this church life that they have, this community of faith that they have. Regular life is now an interruption to that. Now, how does that dynamic come about well I think it's because together is not just something they did it is something that they were they were together 
This is a new mode of existence for them. It's completely different. They're, they're, they're seeing things through different eyes um, now. Because before, they were a bunch of individuals. They didn't know each other. They're from all sorts of different places. And now, they are together and not because they're forced to be. So why is that? What's behind that? Well, at the beginning of the passage, it says they were devoted They were devoted to all those things, breaking of bread, apostles' teaching, the fellowship to prayer. They were devoted to those things, and they were devoted to each other. There's a strong devotion. It's like I was saying just before. There's a heart commitment here. There's a heart engagement going on. They had that. And actually, it reminds me of when I first came to this church. It wasn't in here. But when I first came to the church, I was 17, a bunch of people I didn't know. Of different ages and different backgrounds, I didn't know these people But there was an immediate connection, and on my part, a sense of devotion. I wanted to be with these people. I didn't know them, but I wanted to be with them. This was home. This was family. I wanted to take every opportunity to be together. I'd have very happily been in this situation where regular life was an interruption to being with my church family. And it's because everything in my life had changed. I'd become a Christian in the week before. I was looking at things through different eyes. Everything had changed. I'd received new life in Christ. I had new life in Christ and it was fresh and it was exciting and it was bubbling over and I wanted to be with others who also had that new life in Christ. And these people in the early church, we see earlier in Acts 2, they have repented, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they have been baptised, they have received new life in Christ. These are new people. These are new creations. Everything is different. Everything has changed for them. It's a new mode of existence. And this togetherness that we see is the natural outworking of this new life in Christ. And it's a bit like with a baby. You don't have to tell a baby to cry. You know, if, a baby, if the baby's alive, it will cry. It's the natural outworking of that. And you don't have to tell people who have new life in Christ to come together, to want to be together if that new life is flourishing within you. These believers here that we read about here, they were hungry to meet together. Not out of duty, not because of a command, although it is both of those things but because of this new life and as a sign of that new life. And that's really the crucial context for all of this. For everything I'm saying today, that is the crucial context because everything else flows out of that, out of that new life. All the specifics that we have, all the things that they did flow out of that overarching context of having new life in Christ. And so if I had to answer the question very simply, what's my part in in one very simple answer, it would be that the most important thing that you can do is to nurture that new life that you have within you. Because everything else flows from there. And it flows from there gladly and joyfully without it having to be a burden or a duty or a command. So if that sense of new life in Christ within you has grown weak over time, you need to ask God to stir it up. If the desire to meet together and to serve and all those kind of things has kind of diminished over time... You need to ask God to stir up the new life within you again. If that new life is not there, you need to be born again. But let's stir up the new life within us. That is primarily what draws us together. That is what brings devotion. A heart of devotion. New life in Christ. But, of course, devotion is also a decision. It has to be a decision. It is an act of the will. It is a choice to be devoted. It's not a passive thing. You can't be passively devoted to something. 
It's an act of the will. We have to choose to be together. And we have to make that choice both when it's a joy-filled choice because we're bubbling over, everything's great and exciting and hey, why would I want to be anywhere else? Why would I want to be with anyone else? But also to make that choice when you're not in that place. When you're tired. When life is going wrong or it's just getting overwhelming, it's getting on top of you. When you feel unappreciated. Maybe in the church. Or when you feel far from God. Now again, I remember the occasion very distinctly when I came in here one Sunday morning, in this room, one Sunday morning. I'd been in France for the best part of a year as part of my degree. And I had drifted. I had really drifted in my relationship with God. I felt far from God. And I came in here and I was shocked. Utterly shocked at the sense of disconnection that I felt. Because like I said, this, this was home. This was, this was a refuge for me. And I, I made a decision in that moment that I was going to take every opportunity to meet together, whether I felt like it or not. I was going to take every opportunity uh, to, to, to get to Sunday mornings, to get to midweek meetings, to get to prayer meetings, whatever it might be. And, and at those times, I was going to raise my hands in worship, even though my heart felt cold, not because I was being disingenuous or fake in my worship, but because I knew what was right. I knew in here what was right. And I knew what I'd lost and I wanted it back. And so I was going to fight to get it back. And praise God, it did. I wanted to stir up that new life within myself and I wanted to know that togetherness with God's people again. If you're feeling far from God for whatever reason, and there'll be lots of reasons for it, that is not the time to start to withdraw from the people of God, from the gathering of God's people. That's when you need it the most. It's when you need it the most. Probably the times when you're feeling like, I don't really feel like it today. That's when you need to come the most. Because it's in that environment that life can begin to be stirred up again. You know, it it might be a moment of encounter in worship on a Sunday morning. It might be a conversation with somebody in your small group. It might be somebody just coming alongside you to pray for you, to pray with you, to share what God is saying to you, just to love you. The alternative is that you you start to withdraw. And what happens is that one or two weeks out turns into one or two months out. And you become disconnected from God's people before you know it. Devotion is a choice. It is a choice as well as a heart thing. And so I I would encourage you, I would urge you, I would even plead with you. Be devoted to the fellowship. Be devoted to the fellowship. Be here every week as far as possible. There are always things which will take us away. But as far as possible, be here. Take every opportunity to be with God's people on Sundays, in small group, and outside small group. Because that's what we see in this passage. That's what happens in the early church. They just love being together. And all the particular things that they were devoted to, the breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, prayer, all of those things that are the things that happen when we are together. In community, together. And that's how this new life in Christ is worked out. It's worked out together with the people of God. Because it's in the church, it's in fellowship that we can rejoice together. And we can weep together. And we can bear one another's burdens. And we can confess our sins to one another. Uh, We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We can teach each other what the Bible tells us about Jesus and, and how we're to live for him. We can share stories about how we're encountering Jesus. We can support one another. But... None of those things can be done on your own. None of them can be done on your own. We are designed for community. It's how God's designed us. It's where he's designed us to flourish. 
in community with God's people. But community doesn't work very well if you're not there half the time. It just doesn't work. And it is an increasing trend. I just see it. It's an increasing trend of people being at church maybe one in two or one in three or even one in four weeks. And I'm talking about that as a regular pattern. You know, I know obviously there are times you go away on holiday or some of you might work shifts. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a regular pattern of attendance that is sporadic. And I have to be honest here. I don't get it. I really don't understand it. Because when I'm away, when I miss church because I'm on holiday or I'm at a conference or something like that, I just feel disorientated. I miss it. I miss being with you because I love being with you. I love being together in the presence of God. It keeps me pointed in the right direction. It kind of keeps my compass pointed at true north. I need this. I need you and you need me. I would never miss this lightly. I would never miss this lightly. Sporadic attendance is not devotion. It really suggests that the church, the community of God's people, is just one of lots of different priorities that you have in your life, and therefore it's not really a priority at all. It's just always competing with other things. It's a hobby, really. And so I would encourage you, be devoted in your time. Be devoted in your priorities. Reshape your time. Reshape your priorities to be here whenever you can. To be here, to be in small groups, to, to be here. And while I'm on it, can I ask a favour? I don't want this, this is not, I'm not having a rant here. I don't don't want to come across like that, but can I ask a favour? A favour would be this, that if a greater proportion of us could be here on time. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the reason I say that is because actually it is weird starting a meeting with a half-empty room. And I think for visitors, they find that weird as well. They're looking around, where is everybody? And then suddenly, 15 minutes later, oh, here is everybody. Now, please, please hear me. Please understand. This is not, I'm not having a rant. I, I understand. I've, I've, I've got children, uh, and I know there are lots of reasons why. Things tend to happen on Sunday mornings, don't they? You're just heading out the door, and one of the children says, I need a poo, don't they? <laughs> or, or they're having an argument, or you're having an argument. Things tend to happen on Sunday mornings. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, so I'm not saying, uh, th- this is not a case of we're going to be glaring at you if you walk in after them. No, 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 no. Please understand, you're absolutely free. This is not legalism, but it'd be really helpful if more of us, a greater proportion of us, could aim to be here before the meeting starts, to start the meeting on time with a room that feels full and we can just go from, from, the, from the, the starting whistle, as it were, from the word go. But the most important thing is that you're here. Whether you're here on time or you're not here on time, that's not the, it's that you are here. That is the most important thing. And not here as just an attender, as a consumer, but as a fully participating member of the community. Using the gifts that God has given you. God has given every single one of you gifts for use within his church. He's given you gifts. So to be using those gifts uh, that he's given you to serve God's people in the church and to serve those outside the church as well. Choose to be an active member of a small group where you can know others, really get to know others, and you can be known yourself. Take opportunities to pray together. Those Thursday mornings that Neil mentioned, hey, why not not just go for it? I know it's early. I know it's a sacrifice, but that's what this is about. 
I think those are going to be powerful times together. So let's, let's go for it. And I know you might not be able to come to everyone, and for some of you, you won't be able to come at all because it just clashes with other things. But if you're able, why not come? Or come to one and see how you get on. But let's make it a priority to be together and be a fully participating member of, a, of the community, not just an attender, not just a consumer. Now, why is that important? Well, because I'm convinced that it does you good. I know it does the church good, but also we have a world outside who's looking in. It's essential that the world outside sees fully devoted, loving communities of God's people. What does it say at the end of Acts 2? It says they were enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't we like to see that? Daily. People being saved. Now that wasn't because of evangelistic programs. It wasn't evangelistic programs. Not that there's anything wrong with evangelistic programs, but it was because they were living such attractive lives and they were cultivating such an attractive community that people looked in, they liked what they saw, and they wanted to be part of it. And so they encountered Jesus. People were getting saved every day. They encountered Jesus in the lives of his people and in the community of the church, which is exactly what bless is all about which I spoke about last week, so I won't talk about that again now. But that's what bless is all about. People encountering Jesus in your life and in the life of the church. So, a commitment to being here, I think is a really important part of pursuing this vision together. I think also part of being devoted to fellowship is having a commitment to unity. And I did speak about this in week two, about unity in diversity. But let me just say a little bit more, because I just think this is so important. When you look earlier in Acts chapter 2, you see that actually the early church is a diverse group of people. These are people from all different nations. You read it earlier in Acts 2. From, it lists all these different names of places that the people in Jerusalem uh, were from. This is a diverse group of people from different nations, different cultures, different backgrounds, but who we see are completely together. They are one. And as we've said before, we are a diverse group of people in many, many ways. We are, we are a diverse church, different nations, Different cultures, different ages, different uh, backgrounds, male, female, single, married. We are a diverse church, which of course means that some will come with different expectations and some will come with different preferences. We all have different preferences. Now what this means is that the church, if we're doing something right, the church is never going to revolve completely around your particular preferences. In fact, I would go as far to say, if you like every single thing about the church, that concerns me. (laughs) Why? Because it probably means we're alienating another group of people who are not like you. So Owen Hilton spoke here in our Invited series, and uh, he led one of our leaders day. He wrote this book called Crossing the Divide. And in this book, he quotes an, an American pastor who says this, a truly diverse congregation where anybody enjoys more than 75% of what's going on, is not thoroughly integrated. So an integrating church is characterized by the need to be content with less than total satisfaction of anything. You have to factor in a willingness to absorb some things that are not dear to you, but may be precious to some of those coming in. So your part in that, And all of our part in that is to not expect or not even to desire everything to be exactly as you would like it to be. 
but actually to be passionate about making this a place where all are welcome. From all backgrounds, all are welcome, all can grow, all can thrive. People have different preferences. So a classic one would be worship. And I've had a few conversations about this recently. But some people prefer our times of sung worship to be louder. Some prefer it to be quieter. Some people like a particular style of worship. Some like a more reflective style. Some like the the upbeat praise declaration type songs. Some people prefer a particular worship leader or a particular band. Oh, I really like it when, when, when that person's on. Or with preaching. Some people like a particular style of preaching. Some people love it when it's just full of illustrations and stories. Other people want just good, solid, exegetical preach through the passage. Some people love the kind of, with a series, the thematic approach. And other people think, no, 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 you should be systematically working your way through the Bible. We have different preferences. Some, uh, I'm sure, would like the preaching to be shorter. You don't have to say anything about that. (laughs) Some, believe it or not, would like it to be longer. Yeah? Some have a particular preference for when a particular person is speaking. Some people would love us to teach this way about money and about giving. Some people would prefer that we never said the word money in church at all. And you're going to be disappointed today, I'm afraid. (laughs) Some people would love our meetings to run over in worship and no, no structure. Don't have any structure. Just let the spirit move and flow and run over. Don't worry about time. Other people would like the meeting to be shorter. Whatever your preferences, there are many others who hold different preferences. And it's usually the case that one is not right and one is not wrong. There will be generational differences, of course, as well. This is one area of diversity I didn't really speak about much before. There will be generational differences. So, for example, if you are in an older generation, and I'm going to leave that to your discretion as to whether you place yourself in that, But if you're in an older generation, don't be surprised that there may be some things that are aimed at a younger generation, and it's a younger generation who don't think in the same way that you do. But remember, you were the younger generation once. You thought differently from your parents. In fact, the existence of churches like ours is partly because of that. A disillusionment with the established church and the established way of doing things and a desire and a hunger for a different expression of church and of spirituality, a different style of worship. So my encouragement to you as the older generation would be to get alongside the younger generation and seek to understand them and seek to pass on what you've learned over the years because it's from the younger generation that the future leadership and the future innovation in the church is going to come. And hey, we're in conversation at the moment about, well, how can we facilitate that happening? How can we facilitate the older generation getting alongside the younger generation? But equally, I would say to the younger generation, and again, I'll leave that to your discretion, but younger generation, have the humility to understand and acknowledge that in this church we are so blessed with an older generation who might just know a bit more than you do. I heard a few amens there. People who have fought battles that you've never had to fight and that I've never had to fight. People who have a wisdom that can only come through years and years of experience and who have been instrumental in what has been built here. And so let us be a people who honours the older generation and seeks to understand the younger generation and seeks that unity. And what I'd ask from every single one of us, from all of us, is that where there is a gap, where a gap exists between what you would like, how you would like things to be, and how things actually are, 
I would ask that we all choose to fill that gap, because that gap will exist for all of us in some areas, choose to fill that gap with trust rather than suspicion. Fill the gap with trust that says there's probably a good reason why that is as it is. It's probably been thought through. And so I can ask about that without any defensiveness or any accusation or any criticism. I can just ask about it. Fill the gap with trust rather than with suspicion which says... They don't care about me. They don't care about this issue. They don't care about this area of the church. The path of filling that gap with trust leads to unity and it leads to understanding, even if you still don't agree after talking about it. But the path of suspicion leads to division and misunderstanding. So a commitment to unity, a commitment to filling the gap with trust and not suspicion is an essential part for all of us, every single one of us, of pursuing this vision. It says they were together. They were together. They had everything in common, even in their diversity. And then one other thing that I'll mention, as I hinted to before, is uh, a commitment to generosity. An absolute commitment to generosity. Verse 45 says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. That's radical generosity. That is radical. And it's another sign of that new life and the togetherness that they had. Now, we have a really generous church. As Neil said, we say it every week. We say it every week because we mean it every week. We have a truly generous church. Everything we've seen up to now in our history, the, the, the growth, the impact, the ministries that we've released, the, the building of this place, st- starting a new site up in Hazemere, is all thanks to the generous and sacrificial giving of the people here. It wouldn't have happened without it. But equally, future growth and future impact, gospel impact, won't happen without it either. And because we believe very strongly that generosity, giving, is primarily a heart issue... Jesus spoke about this a lot. It's a heart issue. It's a discipleship issue. It's one of those things, depending on how you approach it, that can either help you to grow in God or to stop you growing in your relationship with God. It's a massively important area, how we approach materialism, how we approach stuff, generosity, in particularly in the area of money and finances. So we regularly invite people to review what you give. To review, not an insistence that you put it up, but to review it, to be constantly reviewing it, to seek God to say, what, what would you have me do with the resources you've given me? To seek God, to give generously, to give sacrificially in accordance with the resources with which he has blessed you. But with no pressure and with no compulsion. But I just think it's the best investment you could ever make. Because we have impact on people's lives. And it's an eternal impact. It's the best investment you can make. Now, I don't have time now to outline everything that we believe about giving. But it is all outlined in the last few pages of this vision book. So do take some time to have a look through there. There's a lot of stuff about giving in there. Um, But what we are going to do, as we've done a couple of times over the last few years, is invite you today to be part of a giving challenge, which Neil will explain in more detail in a few minutes. But in a nutshell, the giving challenge is about taking the next step in your giving and testing God in this. He says in in Malachi 3, test me in this. And so we invite you to take that challenge. But I said, Neil will explain that in more detail. But this giving challenge is an immediate and a practical way of responding to this vision that we've been laying out over the last few weeks. What is my part in that vision? Well, one way of clearly committing to and responding to this vision is through giving generously and sacrificially towards that vision. So let's be open to hearing God. 
on that. Let's, let's be open to hearing. How do you want me to use the resources that you have given me? Let's be prepared to be open-handed and to continue to be generous and even more generous. But always remembering, as it says in 2 Corinthians 9, that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So let's give generously and let's give joyfully. So every one of us who is called to this church has a part to play in turning vision into reality. And it requires devotion, it requires commitment. Devotion requires commitment, it requires, very often it requires sacrifice. But it's got to be a joyful, God-inspired commitment because of the new life that you've received in Christ. And I've outlined a few different specific ways that we can be committed. So with your time, with your priorities, just reshaping those to be here whenever possible. Being in a small group, using your gifts, using your talents in serving. Being a fully participating member of the church. To be committed in prayer. Not just in prayer meetings, but also outside. To be praying regularly for the church. And for the town, be committed in prayer, be committed in reaching out, be committed in choosing to love one another, be committed to unity, trust rather than suspicion, and to be committed to generosity. These are all ways of pursuing that vision that God has put before us. But what I want to do to finish is just return to the why behind all of it. The why behind the what, because all of those things that I just mentioned can of course be done out of a sense of duty, and sometimes a begrudging sense of duty rather than joyful devotion so verse 46 says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God praising God everything that is described in that passage is an act of praise to God it's an act of worship to meet together is an act of praise to God to pray together, to break bread together, to be generous. It's all an act of praise. And praising God together is the engine that drives us. It's the dynamite that kind of brings explosive life. It's the, it's the glue that holds us together. And it's what we were made for. And it was C.S. Lewis who said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express but completes the enjoyment. In other words... When we see something beautiful, it's not enough just to see it. It doesn't quite feel complete when we just see it. We also have to acknowledge it and praise it to somebody else to share that praise in order to complete the enjoyment of that beautiful thing. So it's a bit like when I'm watching football on my own. And I know not all of you appreciate the beauty and poetry of, of the beautiful game. But sometimes, believe it or not, sometimes a goal is scored that is a thing of beauty. Yeah? Unless it's scored by Spurs. Um, no, a goal can be scored. And, you just, and it just brings a reaction. It's like, whoa, you know, or you're on your feet and it brings a reaction. But, but what I have to do then is I need to text somebody or call somebody and say, did you see that? Did you see that pass? Did you see that shot? It was amazing, wasn't it? What a goal. And it somehow completes the enjoyment that I've been able to praise it and share it with someone else. Now, that is a trivial example. But the higher the object... The more beautiful the object, the more it pushes you to praise and to share that praise with others. And when you encounter Jesus, you realise that he is so beautiful. He is so majestic. He's so awesome. He's so other that he demands, he demands your praise. He demands to be praised. And um, in fact, it's there that we find our very reason for being. As you praise the Holy One who was broken for you. 
That's what unites us. That's what draws us together. That's what keeps new life new and fresh and exciting and vibrant. It's all ultimately an act of praise. Everything that we do together is in praise of God. It's what we were created for. Everything else is just a counterfeit. So are you devoted to the fellowship and to being one with people and to pursuing this vision together? We've got to recognize the things that come against that and root them out. Things like bitterness or indifference, passivity, criticism, gossip, unforgiveness, idolatry. We've got to root those things out. How do we do that? By praising God together. By praising the Holy One who was broken for you to deal with your brokenness so that you can be with God, you can know him, and we can live together in unity, fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. A diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. Pursuing that is our act of worship together. It is all for the praise and the glory of God. So I'd encourage you, be devoted. Be committed. Be devoted to the fellowship in every way. Stir up that new life within yourself. Stir up the life within this church. And let us go and make such a difference in our town. Amen.